So it's Christmas time, and uh, one of the things about Christmas time is these movies. You guys seen these Christmas movies? Now, they're miserable. Like, the Hallmark Channel is fleecing you. Like, they're all just fluff, right? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some good Christmas movies, right? Like Home Alone. You guys know about Home Alone? Elf. Die Hard. These would be good <laughs> Christmas movies. But there is just, 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 just legion of these horrible Christmas movies. Uh, you guys have seen them, right? It's all just fluff. The thing that makes them insufferable is that they take these things of like peace and hope and joy, and, and within 90 minutes, they call them into question, and then they wrap it all up in this nice little situation at the end, fireside chat, the whole deal. And it's all, it's all, it's crap. Like, it's not, it's not helping anybody. It's actually making most of us miserable, uh, especially this time time of year when, when we're told to experience joy, right? All these movies, you got to experience joy, all the songs at, at Walmart and Home Depot, joy to the world. And, and we put little ornaments up in our house, don't we? I mean, you guys have the ornaments, don't you? What, what are your, what's on your mantle place? What do you got? You got, you got peace, you Noel, what else you got? You probably got joy. But for many of us, for many of us, Joy is the last thing we feel, especially this time of year. For many of us, it's the absence of joy that we feel most prominently. For some, we feel fear, we feel anguish. For some of us, this time of year, it's, it's, it's so painful because there's empty seats at the dinner table now. For others of us, it's just... It's just this existential longing for something more than the stuff we've got. For most of us, we don't feel joy. For some of us here today, maybe you never thought that you'd be in a church. Maybe you got dragged here to see the kids. It happens to me too, I get it. But for some of us, maybe we're here today wondering if this Jesus thing has anything on offer as it relates to joy because we've tried everything else and nothing seems to be working. And if you're there today, man, I'm glad that you're here. For others of us, for those of us that follow after Jesus, uh, maybe we've read through the scriptures and it just seems like joy is a theme throughout the scriptures. In fact, uh, I would argue, and I think that you could too, as you read through the scriptures, that the Christian life, so to speak, is to be marked by joy. But if you were to survey people in our community, in our city, and say, what is it? What character qualities mark the life of Christians? Usually people would give you answers of fear-mongering, bigotry, anger, overly critical, rage. Now, I get it, right? Like, news outlets are not like finding joy-filled Christians and being like, eh. <laughs> Right? But the critique causes me to wonder, is my life marked by joy? Or is it an overly critical spirit? Is it boredom? Is it, is it despairing? What marks my life? I, I don't know that joy would make the, the top five. And this leads us to our question for today. Where, where is your joy? Where is your joy? As a church family, this, this question drives us. 
It binds us together, this pursuit of joy, because, because you were made for joy. But we are pursuing, trying to find joy, and as a church family, we believe that ultimately there's a source of joy in Jesus Christ. As a church family, it not only binds us together, it compels us to the mission that we believe we're on. In fact, if you walked in today, we'll put it up here on the screen. If you walked in today off to, the, uh, to our, my left side of the lobby, you'll see an image that looks like this. We not only want to talk about joy, we want to help you take your next step in your relationship with the giver of all good things, with the giver of all joy. And so maybe you're here today, you're still trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. Look, we've got some people from our church family, they're coaches, they're not like professionals or anything, they're just normal, well, normal, I mean... I know most of them. They're not normal. I, I'm sorry I said that. But they're like usual people. And they just, they have a relationship with Jesus. They love to coach you as you, I, you've got tons of questions. And I guarantee after you meet with some of these folks, you'll have more questions. Uh, don't worry because all faith is from questioning. And so ask those questions. We want to help you do that. We want to help you pursue that. So they'd love to meet up with you for a coffee or a meal or a beer, just to have a conversation as you're processing through some of these things, as you're discovering Jesus. And so if you want to take that next step, you want to meet with one of our coaches, visit Direct and Connect after the service in the lobby. They'd love to connect you with one of our coaches, hopefully not a weird one. No promises. For others of us, this whole pursuit of joy is why we feel compelled to tell other people about Jesus, right? We're not here to grow our organization. We're here to share the good news of Jesus, to share the good news of joy. And for those of you who follow Jesus, maybe your next step is just reaching out. Uh, As a church family in November, we, we did four weeks of prayer, and I know many of you have been praying for people in your life, in your family, in your uh, workplace, in your neighborhood, and you've just been looking for an opportunity to invite them in to Desert Springs to see Christ lived in community. I want to tell you that Christmas Eve is an excellent opportunity to invite people in. In fact, you're never even going to guess. In the back of the seat in front of you are cards that look just like this. Everybody say, ooh, ah. So I want to encourage you, grab some of these. Uh, If you're not a paper person, that's totally fine. Like, you don't want to carry these around. Just snap a picture with your phone, text it to people, social media, Instagram, whatever. Uh, Let today be the day that you reach out and invite. And and I don't, don't, like, I'm not trying to hype this up or anything, but this may be the beginning of a new life for someone that you care about. So like I got invited and my life was transformed by Jesus in and through this church family and the people in your life, it may be that it's God's timing for them now too and he may be calling you to do the inviting. And so I'm gonna encourage you, let today be the day that you reach out. You make that phone call, you send that email, you walk across the street. I know you live in Phoenix, you don't do that, but let's pretend for a minute. You actually love your neighbors as yourself, you might wanna invite them to church. You see what I did there? That was mean, I didn't mean to do that. The sermon's gonna be much worse though. Joy, joy is the thing that we pursue. I'm gonna ask the question again. Where is your joy? There's three common places that we look to for our source of joy. And as we go through Luke chapter two today, that's where we're gonna be. Don't worry, I'll have it up on the screen here. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. Uh, there's, there's three common sources of joy that we look to, and the Christmas story, though familiar to many of us, the Christmas story fundamentally undermines those three sources 
of eternal joy or those false sources of joy, and then it showcases the ultimate source of joy. And as a special gift, because uh, I like giving gifts, uh, we're gonna, as part of this, one for each source of joy, false source of joy, I'm gonna use a movie. Now these are not Christmas movies, but they could be. So we'll see if we can make them into Christmas movies. You guys with me? We're going to try that one more time. Are you guys with me? Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole, what's the word? Empire should be registered. Now we're asking ourselves the question, where is your joy? Where's your joy? Why are we stopping here? Well, because one of the key places that almost all of us look to find peace, security, and joy is power. power. The Christmas story is a story of militant political power. Jesus was born under Roman occupation. Jesus was born to an oppressed family who was living under the dictatorial, militant, murderous rule of Caesar. Christmas is a violent story. One of the things that Christmas shows us is that we often pursue joy in power. The Roman Empire was not built through mercy, was it? The Roman Empire was not built through grace, was it? How was the Roman Empire built? Conquest, power. And how was the peace of Rome maintained? Was it through well-reasoned, thoughtful, grace-filled discourse? If you disagreed with Rome, or you undermined Caesar, what would happen to you? You dead. Merry Christmas, by the way. Some of us are wondering where this story is going. It's going to get worse. Jesus was born under the rule of a militant, murderous dictator. Power. Notice the language. What does it say? The, 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 the empire. You see, the story of Christmas is a story of clashing kingdoms. Hmm. Now, many of us, we don't, we don't view ourselves as militant, dictatorial rulers, do we? I, I generally don't view you that way. There are many of you, I think, who would view me this way. But I think the reason we don't view ourselves in this light is not because of a heart issue. I think it's we just lack the opportunity that Caesar had. I, I think that given that level of power, many of us would choose to behave the same way. I, just, I would just like to encourage you to think about your workplace. Is power something that you strive to attain, to build, to leverage at the expense of others? Or is power something that you give away? When others advance in place over you, how do you feel? When you've got dirt on that coworker that you would like to see brought low, what do you do with it? How do you use your power? For others of us in the home, in the family, when decisions don't go our way, when it feels like we're powerless, Where is your joy? 
You see, I think for many of us, we believe that if we could just get enough power, then we would find peace, security, and joy. But there's a funny thing about power, is that the more you try to grasp, the more you need to work to gain more. Like an abused narcotic, power, if it truly is your ultimate source of joy, will rot you from the inside out. One of the most famous Christmas uh, trilogies, The Godfather. <laughs> I think there's a Christmas scene in there, so we'll make it a Christmas. Have you guys seen The Godfather? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so for those of you that have good taste in movies, of course we all love The Godfather trilogy, but not number three. Number three is kind of like, Godfather three is kind of like, you guys know, how, how do we feel about Godfather three? <laughs> meh, like can we just say meh? You know, Godfather 1 and 2, classic. Godfather 3, eh. But there's this one scene in Godfather 3. Now, for those of us that aren't familiar with the Godfather Christmas story, the Godfather story is predominantly about Michael Corleone, whose dad is a mob boss. His dad passes away, and he was going to go in this direction with his life, but because he wanted to have peace and safety and security and joy, he decided to leverage his father's power. And throughout the movies, there's this constant struggle between trying to do the right thing, but then being dragged back into maintaining power through violent means. Again, Caesar and, frankly, you and I at work or in the home. But there's this scene in Godfather 3. Now, at this point in time, Marco Corleone is aged. He's an older gentleman at this time. He wants to get out of the business. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, the business, right? The business, okay? He wants to get out. And some things happen where the power structure shifts, their family begins to lose power, and he says this, there's this classic scene where he says, just when I'm ready to get out, they pull me back in. You guys know what I'm talking about. Classic scene, and that's what power does. If your power is your source of joy, it will constantly be dragging you back in. Like an abused narcotic, you've got to have more and more and more. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this question. When I lose my power, do I also lose my joy? When I lose my power, is my joy diminished as well? Power will not serve you as an ultimate source of joy because power is fleeting And there are many of us who are here today driven to this place because power has been taken from us. Or we see that it's dying and we wonder, is there anything else worth living for? The answer is yes, friends. If or when I lose my power, do I lose my joy? Now, for some of us, power isn't necessarily our source of joy, and so let's continue on with the story. We just got through the first sentence of the chapter. Let's see if we can continue. This is uh, verse 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of who? You guys see it on there? David. Now, real quick, TV time out. David is a big deal. Okay, especially at Joseph's time, being in the line of the family of David meant you had a great family, right? A great family name. I mean, this is a more powerful name than like Rockefeller. You guys with me? 
So being in the family of the household of David would mean a great deal to people like Joseph, but let's continue. To be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was... Okay, <clears throat> you guys ever seen like Maury Povich or Donahue or... Um, uh, help me out, what's another one? Um, you guys got to help me out here. I'm up here working. What's like, we got Maury Povich, we got, we got Don, Phil Donahue. What's another show like that? Jerry Springer, classic. What, what's, uh, there was one in like the 90s. She had a Bob, Geraldo, Ricky Link. That's the one I'm thinking of. Thank you. You win a prize, um, which is a postcard and invitation to Christmas Eve is the prize. You win. Okay, so, right? So, so this is that. Right? Imagine you're in the crowd of one of those shows, Ricky Lake, uh, Donahue, Maury Povich, whatever, and they're like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's bring out Mary and Joseph, da, 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 and, and they're engaged, and what is Mary's status? Okay, see, you guys still aren't gasping. You, you got to be like, pregnant, you know, and, and listen, in this culture, it's still taboo. In that culture, it would mean death. It would mean absolute shame. You see, Mary and Joseph, they, imagine Mary, she, she wants this family, right? Her and Joseph, they're getting engaged. Why are they engaged? Because they want to start a family. And what greater source of joy is there than family? <laughs> now, now watch, you guys are laughing, but I want you to watch. What line is uh, Joseph from? Who's, who's like one of his ancestors? David, he's got a great family name but now that family name is being called into question. Now, Joseph thought that Mary cheated because, because miracles don't happen, right? I mean, the whole Christmas story is centered around this idea that, that the baby that Mary carried was of God. And, and, and there are many of us here today who are like, yeah, likely story, right? And I agree with you. Miracles like that don't happen until they do. Joseph did not think when Mary said, I'm pregnant, he didn't think, must be of God. He thought, I should get a divorce. And if not for the direct intervening of God through an angel to both Mary and Joseph saying, the baby that Mary carries is of God, they wouldn't have believed it. But you know who the angels didn't tell? Anybody else. <laughs> like Janet down the street, right? What's she posting on Facebook about Mary? Oh! You see, Jesus was born into a family that knew firsthand what it felt like to be shamed and shunned. You see, for many of us, family, we want it to be a source of joy, but we recognize that there's shame. Jesus, in fact, in John chapter 8, and if you'll pardon my French, it is in the Bible, so I'm going to say it. Jesus was called a bastard and thought to be such. I think for those of us who come from families with shame, that should at least bring us peace, that when we pray, we pray to one who not only knows what it feels like, but actually knows what it feels like. But here are Mary and Joseph. Now, now for those of us who are looking to family, my, my question for you is this, is your joy in family? For some, of us, for some of us, it's kids. Oh, if we could just have kids, then we'd be happy. I haven't slept in eight years. Now, kids are, 
can sometimes be a source of joy, but you, any, you ask any parent, and they will tell you that they can also be a great source of pain. But if kids are the ultimate source of joy, you will crush them under the weight of your expectations. When they rebel, when they don't live like you imagine them to have lived, when, when, they, when they don't do what you want, when they don't conform to your ideal for them, if, if we treat them as our only source of joy, we will crush them under the weight of our expectations. And we may accidentally, or sometimes intentionally, fall into the trap of being manipulative, to cause dissent, to try to make the family to look the way that we want it to be so that we could find joy. But one of the things that Mary and Joseph show us in this story is that if family is our ultimate source of joy, it can be taken from us like that. Mary's story is fascinating. We're pretty sure Joseph died relatively uh, soon after this scene. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture. Moreover, Mary watched her 33-year-old son crucified before her very eyes under the thumb of a maniacal dictator. Mary's family, like many of our families, was torn apart. Family cannot be our ultimate source of joy. And for some of us, it's not kids. We just want a lover. Uh, there's a new uh, movie out, Bohemian Rhapsody. It was, uh, it's a movie made about one of the greatest bands ever, aside from Pink Floyd and Rush, Queen. Thank you very much. I know, again, amen. I know we all agree with what I just said. It's biblical, it's God's honest truth. You guys already know that to be true. It's divinely inspired. Queen is the third greatest band of all time outside of uh, Pink Floyd and Rush. Okay, I'm going to find another church. This is... <laughs> so in, in the movie, they do this song. Freddie Mercury wrote. He's the lead singer in Queen. Can anybody find me somebody to love? The lyrics go like this. Each morning I get up, I die a little. I can barely stand on my feet. I take a look in the mirror and cry. Lord, what are you doing to me? I've spent all my years believing in you, but I just can't get no relief. Lord, can anybody find me, somebody to love? Now what Freddie is saying is this, is that this longing inside each one of us for joy, many of us are trying to fill that gaping hole inside of us with a lover. If I could just find somebody to love, then I would find joy. And this is like 90% of these lame Christmas movies. You feel empty inside, all you need is a lover. Let me tell you, as a married man, not true. If my lover is the only or is the source of joy in my life, every time my lover fails to meet my expectations, how do I feel against her? Angry. In all my years of marriage coaching, one of the key phrases I hear is this, they're not the person I married. My answer is usually, yes, they are. You just wanted to imagine them to be somebody different. You were hoping that they would change in a direction that you could shape. No, they are the person you married. That's, by the way, why we get married. Because there's a day that we wake up and we want to run. You guys ever heard the metaphor of the old ball and chain? 
I love that metaphor. When my wife and I got married, we chained ourselves together and said, there are gonna be countless times where we wanna end this, and right now, today, we make a commitment to not ending it. The whole idea of marriage is based on the fundamental understanding that your lover cannot be your ultimate source of joy. Where is your joy? For some of us, it may not be a lover, it may not be power, it may be something else. Let's continue on with the story. Verse eight, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flock. This is familiar. Many of you have nativity sets, do you not? And who are some of the key figures there? Shepherds. Isn't it intriguing that the first group of people that the cosmic king and creator of the universe chose to tell about the good news of Christmas was a group of day laborers out in the middle of nowhere. These people have no social influence. They have no platform from which to proclaim this good news. This is some of the worst marketing (laughs) I've ever seen in my life. Go tell some poor day laborers out in a field. And yet it's speaking to us something greater than we could ever imagine. You see, for some of us, we try to find joy in our power. Others, we we strive to find joy in our family. And still there are some of us who strive to find joy in our position. Lowly shepherds out in a field. What's their status? What's their position? Nothing. Is your joy in your position? For some of us, that's a position in our careers. As long as we're climbing up the ladder, we feel good. We feel happy. We feel delighted. We feel joy. But the minute we get demoted, or the minute we get passed over for that promotion, what happens to our joy, our delight, and our happiness? It's a vapor. It's still for others of us, it's not our position in our career. It's our position and our social standing amongst our peers. We're the smartest, we're the cleverest, we're the most artistic. We're the most Instagrammable mom there is. And as long as I'm recognized by my peers, as as long as I receive the acclaim that's due me, I'm happy, I'm delighted, I'm joy-filled. But what happens when the acclaim dies down? What happens when the renown disappears? I'd like for you to ask yourself this question. When I'm no longer noticed, Do I lose my joy? You see, if our position is our source of joy, we will find ourselves joyless in the end because position, family, and power, all good things, when we force them to be our source of joy, they crumble under the weight of it. Perhaps some of you have felt this. What are you looking to What source are you mining? What well are you seeking to drink from? Where is your joy? The Christmas story undermines those three things. 
for some of us, especially those of us who are looking for position or family or power, like an abused narcotic, it will never satisfy. There was another excellent Christmas movie recently with Wolverine. It's called The Greatest Showman, where Wolverine pretends to be uh, Barnum and Bailey. Wolverine's a great actor. And in the movie, Greatest Showman, which, by the way, the soundtrack has been on in my house. I I would just love some queen to be mixed in there. They're not, kids aren't having it. It's all showman all the time. But one of the songs, it's a great song. One of the songs hits this so perfectly. If you are trying to find your joy in power or family or position, the song goes like this. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be what? Enough. Will you spend your life pursuing joy in that which you know will never be enough? Power, family, position, they all crumble under the weight of our expectations and desires for true, abiding, everlasting joy. And so I ask you again, where is your joy? The story continues. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look. Now listen, 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 listen. This is familiar to many of us. Listen. For look, I proclaim to you what? Good news of great that will be for the powerful, the prominent, and the established. No. That that will be for the insider, the wealthy, and the power broker. No. That will be for those of good stock. This is good news of great for whom? The outsider? You tell me. For the outsider? For the oppressed? For the shamed? For the outcast, for the left out, for you. Oh, for you, though. Are you sure this is good news of great joy for you? Well, you have to ask yourself, do I fit in the category of all people? And unless you're a sentient, uh, artificial intelligent robot, yes. This is good news of what? Great joy for whom? You and me. And the people we love and the people we hate. Good news of great joy for whom? All the people. This is good news because you and I are created. In the image and likeness of God, we're created. And you and I, being created in God's image, are made for relationship with our God. But you and I, created in God's image, made a choice. Each of us has made a choice to turn from God and turn to our own way. 
And in the breaking, in that rebellion, in the breaking of that relationship, we left what some would call a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Why do you think you're constantly looking to satisfy your longing for joy? Because you're made for joy. But the things that we're looking to fill that hole, power, family, prominence, position, it will never be enough because we're made for something greater. You are made for joy, but where is your joy? We were created in the image and likeness of God for relationship with him. We chose to rebel, and God in his infinite grace and mercy, knowing that we need an ultimate source of love, joy, and truth, chose not to destroy his creation, but to redeem and restore it. And that story reaches its pinnacle at Christmas. You see, Christmas is a story of good news. God taking on flesh, becoming one of us, dying the death that was due us, and rising from the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death. My question for you today is this, where is your joy? The story continues. Today in the city of David, a savior, was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay, TV time out. I know I'm hitting this hard, but I can't let you leave here without hearing it. Look back again. Today, in the city of David, was born for? Does that mean you? I don't mean, like, categorically. I mean, like, right now, when you ask yourself the question, where is my joy? Have you said yes to this good news? You see, Jesus was born not for them only, but for you. Was born for you, who is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. What a great contrast to Caesar. Caesar uses his power to maintain his own power. Jesus gives his power away. Jesus is born into a shame-filled family in order to bring you into his family. Jesus takes on the lowest position possible, being crucified for all to see in order that you might be elevated and known as sons and daughters of God. You're made for joy. Do you know that? I'm gonna encourage you to let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus. He offers you life abundant. And we wanna help you as a church, we wanna help you take that next step. In fact, I'll put that back up on the screen here. For some of you, your next step is simply just to meet with somebody and say, I've got a ton of questions. We'd love to help you in that. Just go to uh, direct and connect through these doors off to the left-hand side. They'd love to help you as you are in the process of discovering Jesus. There are some here today who have recently said yes to Jesus. He calls us to be baptized. 2019 is just around the corner. You guys know that, right? What a great way to kick off the new year, to be baptized. We want to help you do that. Visit Direct and Connect, or in the back of the seat in front of you is a ministry guide. There's more information there on baptism. We'd love to help you in that. And for others, it's simply that you are called to live this out in the context of a Jesus-centered community. And we would encourage you 
not only to worship together each Sunday, but also to build relationships with others within the church family. We've got a variety of different missional communities that gather throughout the week. These are smaller groupings of people that meet uh, oftentimes around a meal or around a study. And it's an excellent opportunity to see Christ in community up close and personal. And again, if you're interested in any of those things, visit Direct and Connect out in the lobby. As a church family, this is not just something we want to talk about, but joy is something we want to live and be compelled by and bound by. Let me pray for us.